0: Welcome to the how to be awesome at your job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning and money with your host, Pete Makaitis.
1: Hello and thanks for joining us here for episode 555 with Michael Bungay-Stanier. I hope you're doing well, staying safe and sane amidst this lockdown, quarantine, work from home situation. And I hope that this show is providing an array of of sunshine and positive upbeatness. I've heard that before, and I hope we're continuing to do it for you now. Michael's got some pro tips about a key reason why we can fall short. We want to empower, inspire, engage. It is because we can all too often fall to giving advice. So whether you're interacting with folks virtually or in person, Michael's got some timeless tips to share here. So you'll learn one, three reasons why advice is overrated. Two, a step-by-step process for breaking your advice-giving habit. And three, how to ask more insightful questions. If you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you can tap inside the episode notes or show description in your podcast app player of choice or visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep555. Now here's Michael's story. Michael Bungay-Stanier is an author and the founder of Box of Crayons, a company best known for teaching 10-minute coaching so that busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. He was named the first Canadian coach of the year. He left Australia 25 years ago to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. Michael's been featured in numerous publications, including Business Insider, Forbes, The Globe and Mail, Fast Company, and The Huffington Post. He's held senior positions in the corporate consultancy and agency worlds. He has lived and worked in Australia, the UK, the US, and Canada, and he's currently living in Toronto. Big thanks to Michael for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Now, here's Michael.
2: Michael, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast again. I know. Thank you for having me back, Pete. It's really nice to be here. Oh,
1: yes. Well, I always have a lot of fun during our chats because, uh, you know, you're not afraid, again, putting the pressure and expectation on. You're not afraid to get a little silly, and uh, neither am I. I strive to be (laughs) hilarious yet useful at the same time. Oh, that's a winning combo in my book. (laughs) Well, so we're going to talk about advice, and you've got a fun turn of a phrase, the advice monster. Can you tell us what is that? And can you maybe give us a wild example, if you got one or two of the advice monster in action.
2: Oh, you know, the, the examples are legion. People are going to know this right away. So, when I wrote the last book, The Coaching Habit, I, as a throwaway line, I'm like, you've got to learn how to tame your advice monster. And people have loved that idea. They're like, oh, oh, I know what an advice monster is. I know my <laughs> advice monster. I have it. And in fact, you all do. You know, as soon as somebody starts talking, and even though they're telling you about a situation you don't really understand involving people you haven't properly met with a context you don't know at all and technical specifications that you don't get, after about 10 seconds in your brain, you're like, oh, I've got some ideas here. Step uh-huh. aside. I've got something to say to you. <laughs> and that's our advice monster. We've had it trained for years. We've spent our lifetime nurturing, feeding this insatiable part of ourselves And in this new book, The Advice Trap, I'm like, you know what, the barrier to staying curious turns out, not that we don't know what a good question is, not that we don't know the value of staying curious and being more coach-like, the barrier to actually making this behavior change is our advice monster. We've got to learn to tame our advice monster.
1: Okay. Well, so you got examples are legion, but could you give us one or two
2: that made you go, wow, (laughs) that is what not to do textbook. Well, I mean, it's like, do you want me to just talk about the ones that have happened in the last three hours for me, or should I go back to the rest of my life? I mean, so let's talk about my marriage. All right. This is getting good. Okay. Now I've been happily married for almost 30 years. You know, I met Marcella, my wife, when we were studying at Oxford together, it was one of the Two great outcomes from me being a Rhodes Scholar. But there's nothing like a spouse just to drive you nuts. You know, somebody once said, your soulmate is the person who pushes all your buttons. And Marcella does that for me. And she has all the right things as well. But she also has a way of me going, right, if I'm going to give anybody advice, it's going to be her. So she starts telling me something that she's up against. And I'm like, okay, just, just to stop talking. (laughs) Let me tell you what to do. And if any of your listeners are married or in a longer-term relationship or you've been in a relationship or maybe you have kids or maybe you have parents, you will recognize that need to kind of go, okay, with this person I'm close to, with this person that I love, this person I actually like and I want to support, part of what I I default to is this let me rush in and try and fix it and solve it for you. Uh
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. So that's sort of the impulse, the inclination there. Let me fix this and solve this for you. Mm -hmm. And so I could see that, you know, hey, that's not sort of fun on the receiving end frequently, but could you make the fuller case for, you know, how that's really problematic and just what could be at stake if we let our advice monster, you know, roam wild?
2: Yeah. You know, advice is overrated for three reasons. I mean, the first thing to say, Peter, is look, don't Think that I'm saying never give advice because, you know, that's obviously ridiculous. I mean, the podcast is actually this moment of advice giving. So it would be ridiculous to say never give advice. The problem isn't with advice. The problem is when giving advice becomes your default response. And, you know, we have this ingrained way of behavior and it turns out that advice kind of goes bad in three ways. So here are the three ways. Number one, you're often trying to solve the wrong problem. Right, We get seduced into thinking there's all the time that we believe that the first challenge that shows up is the real challenge, and it almost never is. It's their best guess, it's their stab in the dark, it's an early hypothesis, but almost never is the first challenge the real challenge. But let's just mm-hmm. say, for the sake of argument, that actually you are working on the real problem, the real issue that needs to be fixed. Here's the second issue with advice. Your advice is not nearly as good as you think it is. (laughs) Now, there's all these cognitive biases that are wiring us to make us believe that we're smarter, wiser, more able, more insightful than we actually are. And so often our advice is just our projection around, this is what I did once or what I thought of once. This should work for you as well. So there's your second issue, which is not only is are you often solving the wrong problem, but secondly, even if you're solving the right problem, the advice you're offering up isn't nearly as good as you think it is. Mm-hmm. But let's just say for the sake of argument, that not only do you have the right challenge to hand, but you have this awesome piece of advice. I mean, it's brilliant. It's gold dust. It's pearls of wisdom. You're like, this is amazing. The third challenge with advice is, is this the right Form of leadership is this the right way of showing up and supporting the person you're in conversation with right now? Because there's a deep insight to say that the idea, the solution, the, the the advice that a person gives themselves is a much more powerful intervention than the advice that you give them, even if their idea isn't quite as good as your idea, and you know our cognitive biases will have us believe that that's almost always the case. But there's something really powerful as a leader. And by a leader, it doesn't mean if you're actually literally managing a team or if you just interact with other human beings. If you show up with other people and you help people figure out their own stuff, what you're doing is you're empowering them to, to get smarter, to own the idea, to get the wisdom, rather than having it coming down from you. Because honestly, when you have somebody giving you an idea, your natural reaction is just to push back against the idea, even if it's well-meant, as it so often is.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then that's the advice monster. And and what is problematic about just uh, letting it roam? Yeah. So your book is called The Advice Trap. Yeah. Is it fair to say the trap is just that you have a temptation to give advice and then you you fall into it and that's a bad thing?
2: Yeah. Basically, it's uh, again, it's advice, fine the default response to going, look, my job here is to give advice. That's, that's the advice trap and just seduced into thinking that that's your role. And in fact, it goes a little deeper than that. So let's let's double click on this whole advice monster thing. turns out the advice monster has three different personas and each one of it kind of feeds a deeper need for us, which makes it hard for us to step into this way of behaving, which is around the power of being more curious. Okay. So I'll take you through the three advice monster personas because people like this. Um, and for the folks listening in, you're like, listen up because you'll hear the advice monster persona that resonates most for you. So number one is tell it and tell it has convinced you that the way you add value. In fact, the only way you add value is to have the answers. In fact, you need to have all the answers. In fact, you probably need to have all the answers to all the problems all the time. And if you don't have all the answers, you fail, right? So that's the first one, that sort of sense of that weight, that obligation of like, I've got to know everything. I've got to always be providing answers or else I'm not adding value. Okay. So that's a persona. My persona is tell it and I'm telling it. You got it. Okay. Number two, save it. So save it a little more subtle than tell it, which is a noisy one. Save it's put its arm around you and it gone, Pete, your job is to keep everybody safe at all times. You can't let anybody stumble. You can't let them struggle. You can't let them fail. You can't make them sweat. Your job is to keep everybody protected, keep everybody safe, keep everybody comfortable. If they struggle, if they stumble, if they fail at all, you fail. Uh-huh. So that's that second piece, that kind of that weight of going, oh, I've got to make sure everybody's okay all the time. And then the third advice monster, which is the the slipperiest, the sneakiest of the three, is control it. So control it has convinced you that your job, the only way you win is to maintain control, keep control at all times. Don't give up control, don't let others have control because if that happens, you fail, you'll definitely fail. So you've got those three different advice monsters, the tell it, the save it, and the control it. And each one of them speaks to uh, a deeper need that we hold on to that keeps us stuck in the advice giving mode. Because we're like, you know what? I feel obliged to have the answer. I feel obliged to save the person. I feel obliged to control the situation. And when you do that, you don't let curiosity really blossom.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you call these personas. Yeah. Yeah because, well, I guess I think of them as verbs. <laughs> so I was like, I want to tell it, I want to save it, I want to control it. So it's a persona insofar as there's kind of like a personality or a character associated with the kind of person who feels the need to tell it, to save it, to control it?
2: That's a really good question. You know, we've, um on the website, uh, com. we've actually got a questionnaire, which is like, you know, 20 questions or so, five minutes to do, and you can follow it through and you'll actually end up with the, uh, the advice monster that kind of is your your go to your default the one that you're kind of most familiar with. You know, when I was writing the book, I'm like, is uh, do we have three advice monsters? And each one of them is a different advice monster, or is it one advice monster but kind of shows up in different ways with different traits depending on who you are and t- depending on the situation? And in the end, I was like, you know, I think it's better as a persona. We all have the advice monster how it shows up, the clothes it wears, the behavior it has is different for different people. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So then let's see, we've got three personas, but we've all got an monster. So I imagine you probably have some universal solutions and some particular prescriptions, you know, given which persona you fall into. So yeah, what do we do? We're So someone's telling us something. We've got that urge, the impulse to pour forth the advice. So what's the appropriate response?
2: Well, you can guess that the, the easy solution here is to just stay curious a little bit longer, you know, because curiosity is the light that holds back the, holds back the advice monster. I mean, questions are the kindling of curiosity. So the easy, fast answer for people is go, look, just, just ask some good questions, stay curious a little bit longer. But this is actually what took me into writing the advice trap because the, the first book, the one we talked about when we, did the previous interview is called The Coaching Habit. And The Coaching Habit is like, here we go. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to unweird coaching for you. I'm trying to make curiosity feel like a useful everyday skill. Seven good questions can take you a long way down the path. And we've had a lot of people go, these questions are fantastic. I've started using them with my, my spouse, with my kids, with the people I work with, with the team that I lead, and things are getting better. And I'm like, I love that. There's also a lot of people out there who go, you know, Michael, I like your questions. I like your book. I like the podcast you did repeat. It's all great. And I'm finding it really hard to change my behavior. I'm finding it really hard to shift from being advice driven to being curiosity led. And so there's a kind of a deeper piece of work that's required. Um, in the book, this is kind of the opening part of the book. I talk about this difference between easy change and hard change. We are all good at easy change. That's why it's called easy change. And the metaphor I would give you, it's like, it's a little bit like downloading an app on your phone. It's adding a little bit of knowledge to the current version of you. So easy change, anytime you get a new phone or walk into a new hotel room, like I'm in at the moment or show up in a new place, you're like, okay, I've just got to figure this stuff out. And you do, you you. Watch a podcast, listen to a podcast, you watch a video, you read a book, you go and talk to a teenager who explains it to you, and you're like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And you practice it.
1: I go to Amazon.com and buy a little yeah, something. exactly.
2: Go to Amazon.com. Oh, this problem is solved for $15. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> so you kind of figure it out, and you start off, and you're a little bit incompetent when you do it the first time, but you quickly get competent, and then you quickly get to a point where you're like, yeah, I got it. I'm fine with it. So that's easy change. No problem with that hard change obviously is trickier harder slipperier and we all know this because we've all tried to take on something where you're like this should be relatively straightforward and for some reason it's really difficult for some reason it just seems to be elusive for you you keep trying you keep reading more books you listen to more podcasts you watch more videos you buy some more stuff from amazon and it just isn't enough to help you crack this dilemma, this piece around, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. If you've ever had a New Year's resolution where you're like, okay, I've made this resolution for the last seven years, but I'm going to make it again this year because damn it. I'm actually going to get it sorted out this time around. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what hard change is. And if easy change is downloading the app on your phone, hard change is when you realize that an app won't do it. You need a new operating system. Mm-hmm. You know, the other way of talking about this, Peter, is like if easy change is about tweaking current you, present you, hard change is a commitment to future you. It's like, you know what? To do this, I need to become a bigger, different, better version of myself. So what needs to change so that I can actually step into that way of doing it? And that's a very long answer around your question around, okay, we noticed your advice, Monster, what's what do you do about that? Well, for some of us, it's easy change, which is like, just ask some questions. And some of it's hard change, which is like, oh, you gotta you gotta learn to tame your advice monster. And that can be tricky, that can be difficult, and that's absolutely worth the battle because you get to show up in a whole different way.
1: Okay, so it's gonna take some hard change. Yeah. And it's not a matter of downloading the app, so what is it a matter of doing? So step number
2: one is going, are you up for this? <laughs> Are you actually committed for actually going to do this? Because some people are like, yeah, in theory, I kind of wouldn't mind being a bit more curious, but in practice, can't be bothered. So the first step is to go, you know what? It's really worth it. It's now irritating me how much I give advice. It's irritating the people I work with, how much I give advice. I want to to do this change. Step number two is to actually say to yourself, look, I've got to start recognizing my advice monster because until I start seeing it, so I start knowing how it shows up. Then I'm, it's it's really hard to tame something that you're not quite sure where and how it exists in the world. So there's a way for you to actually take the time and going. So when does my advice monster really get loose? When does it go crazy? You know, what's the situation and with who is the, With whom is the person? So it might be you know when I have my my weekly check in with Pete. Oh. That man drives me crazy. (laughs) He starts talking and my advice monster is absolutely loose. So the, the next step is for you to identify when your advice monster is on the loose. So you're not trying to do a generic. I'm just trying to be more curious. You're like, no, this is, this is the moment where I'm trying to change my behavior. And Pete, you know, this comes from our last conversation actually, which is like, this ties in with what it takes to build a new habit, which is like, be specific, be singular, be focused. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be generic, but actually pick a moment, pick a new behavior, pick a context so that you can actually change your behavior in this way. All right. So step number one, declare the battles on. Step number two, identify the moment where your advice monster shows up. Step number three gets a little more personal. Um, it's a little deeper dive, and it's to understand the prizes and the punishments of your current behavior. Because here's the thing, you give advice because you get something from it. It's actually a win for you. Uh-huh. So there's a way of actually identifying how you're showing up and going, so what do I get out of that? You know, and it's like, you know what? I feel smart. I feel in control. I get them out of my office faster. I feel like I'm the, I'm the, I'm adding value to the conversation. I feel like I'm in control of what's going on. I mean, it speaks to kind of some of those three different types of advice monsters that we talked about before.
1: There's like this pressure. I feel this in my brain sometimes. It's like, if I don't somehow capture what's in my head, either by saying it out loud or writing it down or sticking it somewhere, then it's just going to have a piece of me and that's uncomfortable and I need the resolution and breath and peace associated with knowing that it's been captured. Otherwise it might disappear forever. And it's a treasure
2: trove that I can't allow to just run away, Michael. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. That's really powerful insight, Babe. That sense of, oh no, no, what I've got is actually you know, is essential and it's vital and it's slightly you know, it's honestly it's genius. So mm-hmm. I can't not offer that up to the world. That would be irresponsible. <laughs> so it's really helpful to see that. And I actually, I love how you talked about that because you can see in you saying it, there's a, there's a, there's an honesty and a kind of vulnerability and a self awareness around, I can see how this is a little bit ego driven. Um, but it's also true. It's the kind of what's there for me. And it's just so fun. It's like, ooh, this is a
1: really interesting idea. It'd be fun to explore it. And maybe we're going to do that right now with the person since they brought it up. Or maybe we'll do it uh, later. But it's a little uncomfortable for me to imagine. Well, maybe we'll just never get to explore it. And that fun thought is just going to run away because I put all my attention back toward listening and being curious.
2: Well, understanding the benefits you get from it sets you up for the next piece, which is like, but what's the price you and others pay for your need to share this little piece of genius. Yeah. And all parts of the equation kind of can suffer as part of this. You know, you can pay the price of being the person who feels like they have to ha- always have the answer or they always have to have the little genius idea or they've become the bottleneck to the conversation or they've disempowered the other people because they're like, uh, you know what? There's no point in coming to Pete with ideas because he's always got his own little genius idea that he always has to share with us. And he's always going, well, that's kind of the thing we should be doing. Mm-hmm. So there's a way that both you and the other person can, can pay a price around that. Right. And having done that, you're actually at a bit of a crossroads, which is to go, you know what? Do the prizes outweigh the punishments or is it vice versa? And until you get to a point where you're like the, the punishments, of my advice monster, the price I pay and the price other people pay are now sufficiently significant enough that they outweigh the more short-term, you know, in the book we call them wins, not wins, that short-term, oh, I get to be genius, I get to be smart, I get to have the answers. When when you see the punishments outweigh the prizes, they're like, okay, I'm up for the the change here because the current equation isn't working as well as it used to. Uh Then you go a little deeper, and I will say, Pete, At theadvicetrap.com, there's actually a way that I, a little video of me facilitating people through this process. So if people are going, yeah, I'm kind of following this, but I would like it a bit more, there's a video and there's a worksheet and stuff that people can grab at theadvicetrap.com. We get to that next level down where you're like, okay, so if what you've done with prizes and punishment is kind of figure out the equation for, for, for present you, let's go down to future you and kind of go, all right, Two things to look at here. If you were to tame your advice monster, if you were to stay curious a bit longer, what would you be worried about? What would you, what would make you anxious about that? Because you've got to acknowledge this, which is like, and you've kind of talked about it, which is like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm adding value. My, my little bits of genius might never see the, the light of day. And, you know, a little bit of me dies if I don't get to be a genius every time I show up. Um, that other person might struggle. I might lose control of the conversation, I might not get to be the smart person in the room. You get to see all of those kind of anxieties that you have. But then you weigh that against the man. But what what would future you gain from this new way of behaving? What would you what would you find? Like, oh I get to allow other people to be brilliant. I get other people to share their genius with me. And I'm a catalyst and a space for them to be brilliant rather than me to be brilliant. You know, I get to not be a bottleneck. I get to have other people be more confident and more competent and more self-sufficient and more autonomous. So honestly, I work less hard because they're all doing their own stuff without having to come to me for their blessing or the idea or whatever it might be. Uh And then when you kind of weigh that up, you're like going, okay, I see the choice now. And it's actually only when you do that deeper work, Peter, that you kind of go, right, now this is setting me up for a place where I can go, it's worth me asking a question, because I've actually kind of gone deeper into the kind of the complexity of the behavior change that's required. And you're going, you know what, now's the time for me to invest in this future you state, so that I can have more impact as a human being in the life that I live.
1: Uh hmm Well, I really like that process, that framework in terms of, well, I think you could use that anytime you think about a behavior change or should, oh, I should work out more or I should eat better. It's like, well, maybe, but I think what's probably most appropriate is to rather than just sort of have a knee jerk reaction and feel guilty for, you know, doing or not doing all the things to really zero in on. All right. Well, a true sense of the cost and benefit and opportunity that is uh, awaiting you if you embark upon that kind of a change, and so I think that's super handy. That a lot of things you think maybe that you should do, you can realize, hey, you know what? Actually, not worth it. Not uh, not worth the cost. I can just sort of let go of that peacefully, exactly, and move on to something else. At the same time, I mean, let's say maybe you do get that perfect clarity and conviction that yes, right. this is the thing. It needs to happen. I can absolutely see it's worth doing. The benefits massively justify that investment. And nonetheless, you know, much like, uh, you know, diet exercise, temptations arise. What do you recommend for, you know, in the moment? You're committed
2: and yet, ooh, you're feeling it. What do you do there? I would go back to some of the stuff I talk about in the opening chapter of the coaching habit book. I'm like, oh, you know what? Pick a person, pick a moment, pick a question. Don't go, look, I'm just going to try and be more coach-like. I'm just, I'm committed to being more curious in every aspect of my life. All that does is set you up for failure. What I'd say instead is like, you know what? Pick a question and go, I'm going to try and ask that a few more times per day than I currently do. And if you're going to pick one of the seven questions that I talk about in the coaching habit book, I might go for number two, which is the shortest and the most powerful of the seven questions, which is, and what else? And what else? So the acronym of that is A-W-E. So it's literally an awesome question, which I I love. And what I've found is that what that question has is kind of built within it is the insight that the person's first answer is never their only answer and it's rarely their best answer. Uh But what happens, and this is our advice monster, is you ask a question, somebody comes up with an idea, and you're like, nailed it. We've got something, let's go with it, let's run with it, let's implement it, let's make it actionable, or whatever it might be. And what I would encourage people to go is like, you know what, their first answer is almost never their only answer. So ask and what else, because it will mean that you get more, you squeeze more out of the lemon of any question that you've asked them, and you'll get better and more diverse answers from the person that you're working with. So I think there's my generic piece of advice Mm -hmm. on how not to give advice, which is like, okay, if you've only got one question, make it and what else? Because you know what, you can slip that into almost any conversation. People won't even notice. Certainly, you know, I think that I've been using a lot
1: of a question that's come up with a few guests. It's uh comparable, although you've got a knack, Michael, for identifying the nuances between how one question is in fact quite different from another, given the words and the triggers that it does for people. So let me sure. put you on the spot with this. I've been loving, yeah, tell me more about that. Let's compare contrast. Are those um interchangeable or do those have some nuances that you'd like to? discuss.
2: Well, tell me more about that has some inherent landmines built into it. I'll tell you why. So if I go, all right, Pete, what's on your mind? This
1: coffee. I've been so engaged. I have barely sipped
2: it. (laughs) I know. How about that? And you go, okay, here's Michael, here's a thing that's on my mind. And I go, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Now this question feels like it's in service of me rather than you, Mm -hmm. because I'm going, I want to find out more about what's going on secretly because the more I know about that situation, probably the better advice I can give you when it comes to actually my time to give you advice. Oh, okay. And one of the nuances about asking questions, and this is kind of a real step towards mastery, is to go, in whose service is this question, is this more for me or is it more for them? Mm -hmm. Because if I go, well, tell me more about that, you're like, well, I already know a bunch about it, but sure, now I'm helping you out by telling you more. I see. Whereas if I go, all right, that's interesting, I hear what's on your mind, tell me what's the real challenge here for you, Mm -hmm. now this question is in service of you. It's for you to go, well, what is the hard thing here? What is the challenge? Where am I struggling with this? And then I go, what else is a challenge here for you? You're like, oh yeah, what else? And that goes you deeper. And then I go, great, so Pete, what's out of all of that stuff, what's the real challenge here for you? Now you're working and you're figuring stuff out because the the stance I hold is, look, if I'm in a conversation with you where I'm asking you questions, I don't need to know a whole lot about what's going on. I mean, when we finish this conversation, I'm I'm in Anaheim at the moment to speak at a big tech conference for a big tech company. And I'm going to coach um, a very senior leader on stage in front of about, I think it's 1,500 people. Now, what do I know about the, the impossible job of being an executive vice president at one of the top three tech companies in the world? The answer is I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So... If I sit down with this person and I go, what's on your mind? And they tell me, and I go, well, tell me more about that. Now they're like, okay, well, you don't know anything about this anyway, and I'm not sure that this is covered under our NDA, but let me tell you, I'll give you some top line stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, and tell me more about that. What else can you tell me about that? And now he's explained to me what the situation is so I can try and figure out a solution. But if I go, yeah, okay, I don't even know what that means, but what's the real challenge here for you around this? And they're like, oh yeah, it's this. And I'm like, great. What else is a challenge here for you around this? And they're like, amazing. Mm -hmm. I, it's them, they're in the spotlight. I'm in service to them. And tell me more about that is often in service to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a powerful distinction there in terms of who's the question in service to. And I think that, and as also when we're viewing a coaching context in terms of, hey, on stage and such, that's really handy. I think in previous contexts, tell me more about that was handy in terms of someone said something to you that made you kind of angry. Oh, sure. (laughs) Like they're volunteering some feedback or, or they're about to let you know just how you've screwed up. Yeah. You'll tell me more about that is great for disarming versus a, uh, and what else is sort of like, Oh really? You're going to dismiss what (laughs) I've just said. So that's perfect in terms of the different contexts, making one versus the other a bullseye.
2: So, in the context of somebody's just said something feedback or aggravating or something like that, the power of tell me more about that is it's a self-management tool to stop you leaping in and kind of you know strangling them. They're like, oh, t- I'm, yeah. <laughs> make, you're triggering me here and I want to kill you. <laughs> Here's a nuance then in that context, mm-hmm. which is like, tell me more about that is, is a, a pretty broad question there's a way that you might direct that conversation to become more useful for you and here's how it could look like you could say what's the data for this because when people give you feedback it tends to be a mix of a little bit of fact and a whole bunch of judgment and a whole bunch of unspoken feeling and an unspoken want or a need um, and there's a way that, tell me more about that. You may get a bit more of a repeat of what you've already heard, which is the same kind of mesh, mess of all of that stuff. But you could take it in different ways. You go, okay, I hear there's a bun- There's something going on here. Tell me what the data is. Tell me what the facts are around this. I'm just curious to know what's making you think that. Mm-hmm. You could say, I hear what's going on, just so I'm clear, what do you want here? What do you want from me? What do you want from this conversation? What do you want from this outcome? because sometimes actually everything they've told you is entirely separate from what they're really trying to get out of this. And knowing what they want is a much more specific and useful question to actually figure out. And then the third question that you could ask around that, you could ask, I mean, I love putting feelings and judgments together. In my my head, I got this model, which is like every conversation has four parts to it, data, feelings, judgments, and the wants and the needs. And in the context of like a, a tough conversation, I'm like, I'm trying to get clearer on what falls into what buckets. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm just trying to find the right articulation of the question, people. It's like, what's the, you know, if that's the fact, if that's the data, what, what are your assumptions based on that? What, what, what have you, what do you assume to be true about me, about you, about the situation at hand? And what you're doing is you're effectively asking the same question you were asking, which is, tell me more about that. But you're being a little more directive. It's like, I want to find out about the data. I want to find out what you want. I want to find out what you assume to be true. Mm. And all of those questions can be helpful, but one in particular might particularly serve you in the moment. Oh, that's great.
1: And so then maybe could you give us an example of disaggregating those four components there? In terms of, okay, you're not, I'm just looking at your hotel room. So I'll just say you go up to the front desk and you tell them that uh, your bed is unacceptable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you disaggregate that for us?
2: And if they go, I can hear you're frustrated there, sir. What What is it that you want? And you're like, you know what? I just need a better pillow. And they're like, oh, that's easy. Can, we just need a better pillow. Or I'm like, I've got a colony of bed bugs in my bed. They're like, oh, okay, well, we'll move you to a different room. Or, um, it's a hammock mm-hmm. and I don't sleep in hammocks. I thought I was getting a king size bed and you put me in the nautical themed room mm-hmm. and there's like pictures of pirates on the wall and it smells of brine. <laughs> and I don't like hammocks, you know, so that curiosity can help them. Now it might be for them. They're like, tell us more. What, what, what seems to be the issue, sir? But you're like, all of this is the bigger the bigger insight in all of this is that piece around curiosity and the power of it cuz tell me more about that is an invitation to stay curious and that's the big win around that certainly well i'm thinking of like a a more complex situation cuz with a hotel and a hotel bed it's a transactional relationship like it's we're just talking about a bed and then we're never going to talk to each other again if it's somebody i have a relationship like it's with my wife and i go Well, I'm just curious, what makes you think that? What What's the data behind what you've just said?" And she goes, well, I just saw the rubbish bins, the trash cans out on the pavement, and they were this and they were that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, those actually, those aren't our trash cans. Our trash cans are on the back, I brought them in. (laughs) And she's like, oh, (laughs) oh, right, Mm -hmm. my mistake. And that data defuses the whole situation. Whereas if I'm like, tell me more about that, she's like, "I've never liked you, you've never been good at household chores you're <laughs> you've been a burden to the family for thirty years, and I'm like, okay, this is gone this has gone really dark really quickly uh, uh, whoops <laughs> yeah, exactly
1: <laughs> well and so in that trash can example, that's actually really handy because if we look at those four components, so the data are I witnessed some trash cans <laughs> that uh, were askew, their feelings are. That's gross, and I hate looking at it, and it's very unpleasant. The judgment is you are unresponsive in doing your chores, Michael, and my need is for you to
2: fix that <laughs> right, and of course it, it it actually goes deeper than that, which is that you're bad at your chores you're a, you're a you're a roundabout lazy man you're a parasite, you're <laughs> sucking me by, you're, you're, you you never carry your weight in this relationship. You don't love me. You know, it kind of, that stuff can kind of escalate pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood.
1: And so then Michael, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things here.
2: No, I think there's a lot. I mean, there's a bunch of good resources at theadvicetrap.com. There's the questionnaire around which of the three advice monsters is the one that you're most familiar with. There's that process around going into hard change versus easy change. All of that's resources that people can make the most of if they'd like. Okay. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote something you find inspiring? One that I would point to that I'm sitting with at the moment is from Muhammad Ali. And somebody once said, this is the shortest poem ever written. And it is, me, we... And I love the profundity of that, which is to say, we are we are all connected. You know, there is no there is no me without the context of us, and what you do here for you is in service to us. And remember that connection. So, me, we, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Okay. And could you share with us a favorite book? You know, the book that I keep coming back to because it's this amazing combination of science, and just a kind of celebration of kind of the the, the the miracle of this planet being a planet that we can live on is Bill Bryson's book, A Short History of Nearly Everything. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious that man can write a metaphor better than anybody else I know. And really, it just opens up the kind of the, just the unlikelihood of there being this life on this planet at this time where you and I are able to do a podcast together. It's like spectacularly unlikely that this could ever happen. And yet here we are.
1: Mm-hmm. And how about a uh, favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job.
2: You know, the thing that I am enjoying most is a pen given to me by my the people who are helping me publish the book. It's by a company called Baron Fig, and it's which are a new York, New York stationery cover. and it just is a beautiful pen. Oh, Great.
1: And if folks want to learn more, get in touch with you. Where would you point them?
2: The AdviceTrap dot is the place to find out about the books. But if you're going to go to a singular place. Um, I've got basically a newish website called mbs.works, mbs.works. And that's kind of a collection of my work, you know, all the stuff that I'm working on. So you can access the books I've written. Mm -hmm. And do you have a final
1: challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yeah, add a question, just one question per day to your conversation. Make it M-What-Else or make it any other question. But I'm like, I would love you to take one small step in the direction of curiosity. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Michael, this has been fun. I wish you lots of luck with The Advice trap and all your adventures. Pete, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the great conversation. I I appreciate how we kind of went deep and interesting and, and you threw yourself in the mix there as well. So thank you.
1: I loved Michael's timeless reminder that when other people generate the ideas, they naturally have more ownership and belief and engagement associated with, you know, going forward and rocking out with that. So I think we learned that from Socrates, the Socratic method. You ask those questions it can often go a whole lot farther than say, well, let me tell you the answer. I figured it out for you because there is that natural resistance, even if it's awesome advice. So great reminders from Michael. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F555. We have heard from Michael in previous episodes. You might want to check those out. It's funny. Our first episode we had him on was number 55 now we're at 555. What a world. Thank you for listening and your support and the growth. It's been super exciting. We've got another repeat guest who has a bundle of awesome wisdom. It's Gary Bernison. He's the CEO of the largest executive search firm. It's called Corn Fairy. And fun fact, we use the Corn Fairy competencies as a means of tagging and organizing our catalog of episodes. If you check out awesomeatyourjob.com, you can look by competency and topic and subtopic we use their system because it's a pretty good one because there's some smart folks over there. Anyway, he's talking about how to advance your career. I hope to catch you there In peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links as well as the perfect episode for your situation you can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice.